And Father, what a blessing it will be to be together with you forever and ever because of Christ. To be in the presence of your Son, to be in eternity, to be glorified with those whom we love, those who have come to faith in Christ. And Father, I thank you that although we're not there yet, you are working on us. You are making us like Jesus. You are conforming us to the image of your Son. And I thank you that you've made it clear in your word that you use your word to do that, to renew our minds, to change us, that we would be more and more uh, like Christ, that we would press on towards the goal, the upward call. And Father, I thank you that uh, you use this time together to do that. And I pray that uh, you would, that our hearts would be receptive to your word and that you'd be glorified as it is brought forth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the scripture is very clear that if you are a true believer, there's going to be trials and troubles. You know, Jesus said in the world, you will have trouble, right? But take courage, I have overcome the world. We know that a slave is not greater than his master. Uh, if they persecuted the Lord, they're going to persecute, persecute us. We know indeed those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. We know there's going to be difficulties if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are the sufferings for the glories to follow. Now, we suffer in different ways for following Christ. Certainly, you may temporarily suffer in your marriage because you've done the right thing. You may temporarily suffer with your children because you're raising them in a godly way. You may suffer at work because you're doing your work under the Lord. You may suffer by coming alongside a brother or sister to encourage them in the Lord, and they reject that, whatever it might be. You may suffer because you point out uh, the things that are happening in the church that may not be right, may not be, be in line with the Word of God. You, we do suffer for, for different things as we follow Jesus Christ. We suffer for righteousness, for His sake. But yet there are times when the church is actually opposed When the body of Christ is opposed by those who would rise within, as we'll say. And how are we to respond to the opposition that will inevitably come against the body of Christ? That's what we're going to see today. Specifically, how we, the body of Christ, the church, are to live in the midst of earthly opposition. And I think within this, we're going to see some marks, not all of them, but some marks of an obedient church. If you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we get back to our study in the book of Philippians, a wonderful book. And uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, I want to share a little bit of the context. And for those who have, just a reminder, Acts 16 describes the founding of the Philippian church around 52 AD, about 20 years after Pentecost, where we have the Apostle Paul given his marching orders to go to Macedonia And he leaves in obedience, crossing the Aegean Sea and going on to Philippi to preach the gospel. And we see that he comes to a river and we have the first uh, European converts, Lydia and her household, coming to faith. We have the apostle Paul Paul casting out a demon from a slave girl and then being put in prison, Paul and Silas, in the Philippian jail. And as they were singing hymns and and praying, uh, God miraculously freed them from their chains and their bonds, and yet they didn't didn't escape, they didn't go away. And the the jailer, convicted, probably obviously hearing the truth of the gospel and the truth concerning Christ, says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
And we have the Philippian jailer hearing the, Paul sharing the gospel, sharing the word with them, and the Philippian jailer and his household coming to faith. And so we have the nucleus of the Philippian church. And now it's about 10 years later from that point where the Apostle Paul is under house arrest. Uh, he is uh, chained 24-7 to a, 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 a Roman uh, guard. And he is chained for preaching the gospel. This is one of his four prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and again, as I mentioned, written around 62 AD. Now, the Apostle Paul and the Philippians were very close. They were one of the only churches that supported him when he was in need. They loved him. They cared for him. They sent, they sent, Epaphrodite, sent Epaphrodite to see how he was doing. And we have that report coming back. So the Apostle Paul was very thankful for them. And we see that in the beginning of the book, and, and I hope you were encouraged by that, that Paul was thankful for God's past work in these Philippian believers, and he was confident that God would complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. And he prayed for them that their love would abound in real knowledge or true knowledge and discernment. He prayed for that, that they would be able by the Spirit of God to make right choices which would ultimately glorify God. And then we saw that the Apostle Paul shared to these dear Philippian believers that his circumstances weren't what they might have thought. They might have thought the gospel was hindered, but he said his chains have brought forth the greater progress of the gospel. And in Paul's mindset, he desired that Christ would be magnified in everything, whether he lived or died. And he shared those words which we have seen, to live Christ, to die is gain. As we saw the last time we were together, we saw that to live would have meant good, fruitful labor for him because that was his focus, serving the body of Christ by serving the Lord, serving the body of Christ. But to die is gain. For the believer, it's very much better to be with the Lord. But yet the Apostle Paul understood that it was necessary, inspired by the Spirit, to, to continue on and minister to the Philippians. The Apostle Paul has shared his circumstances and how the Lord has worked through his circumstances. And now he's going to address the Philippians' circumstances and tell them how they should respond to the opposition that they are seeing also. So with that in mind, how are we to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? How are we as, as heavenly citizens to live in the midst of earthly opposition? Again, turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30. Lord willing, we will finish the chapter today. Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The Apostle Paul begins to address the Philippians' circumstances. He has shared what Christ is doing through his circumstances amidst the opposition that he is experiencing. And now he is sharing to the Philippians concerning what they should be doing in light of the opposition that they are facing he talks as we will see about their conduct in the midst of that and how they should respond. 
Now again, it's important to recognize this passage is to believers. This is to the Philippian church. It's not to non-believers. It's to those who, as he would say earlier, have a same or like faith as ours. It's the, they, they've trusted in Jesus Christ. They have trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They are saints. They are saints. And so now he gives them the command here in which we see that we are to only, as believers together, we're to only live one way. We're to only live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, as I've mentioned already, he is now shifting from his circumstances to theirs and how they should respond. You see, he's been sharing about himself this entire time concerning what God has done through what man might think is a difficulty that wouldn't bring forth any fruit, but God has brought forth great fruit of the gospel through what has happened. And now he moves to them. Only you all, and actually it goes to all the Philippians, it's plural, only you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if we were just to read through this quickly, we might miss an important word here. I need to emphasize the term that begins our passage. Only, only conduct yourselves. This Greek adverb, monon, is used to limit the action to, to the, just the, the action described in the verb. It's used to limit it. Only do this. Only do this. You see, he could have said, conduct yourselves in a word, and, and uh, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. But he says, only do this. This is what you ought to be doing. So how are we conduct our, so, so how are we to only conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, I think we get some hints into that as we start to understand the language of what he uses here. I think he's going to point out and point to their heavenly citizenship. And you're saying, what are you talking about here? Well, this word conduct here, translated in the Greek, it's not our usual word for conduct, okay? Usual word for conduct is peripateo, which means to walk around. speaks of your life's actions. You walk around. What am I doing every day? It's my conduct. Well, here, it is a completely different word. It actually is the word uh, politeuo. I can't say it right. Politeuo. And we get our word politics from it. It actually speaks of the, the the conduct and duties of a member of a sit of a citizen conduct yourselves as a citizen as a citizen what is he talking about well we know that they were certainly roman citizens he's saying live only as a citizen in a in a in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ what does he mean by live as a citizen in, in a manner worthy of that conduct yourselves as one like that well, what we do know is that the Philippian church was, or the, or the Philippians were in a position where they had a great privilege in the Roman Empire. Uh, they were, they were Roman citizens, those in Philippi. Let me read a little historical, uh, tidbit from this concerning Philippi. One pastor writes, the city of Philippi was not just an ordinary city. It was granted special status by Caesar after the defeat of Anthony during the Civil War. At the, after the Battle of Actium, which squelched the rebellion, a large number of soldiers retired to the city, and so it was declared to be a Roman colony. 
This special status invoked a sense of pride by its inhabitants. It was Rome by the way of Rome. And this pride is seen in Acts chapter 16, 20 and 21. They saw themselves as Romans and Rome was their mother and they never forgot for whom they belonged. They spoke Latin and wore Roman dress. They, were, they called their magistrates, magistrates Latin titles. They were deeply into Roman citizenship and what it meant. So the culture there, they would see this word and it would, it would strike those thoughts of being a citizen, which, which those who didn't know the Lord were very proud of in Philippi. We know later on in chapter 3, if you can turn there right now, chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul points to this reality of citizenship in heaven. He uses again these, these words. He says, for our citizenship, chapter 3, is from heaven. He's pointing to that, that sense of what they would understand in their, in their worldly sense of their pride for the Roman citizenship, but pointing to the reality for believers that they are heavenly citizens. So here, back in our passage, he's saying here, only conduct yourselves as a citizen, poeteo, conduct yourselves as a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Pretty tremendous. Pretty tremendous. Recognize their responsibilities as heavenly citizens and conduct yourself worthy. And this is to the church, not just to each individual, not to you, 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 but all of us who are in Christ. Only live this way all the time. Only live this way all the time. Now you notice there's a qualification, there's an expectation. He says here, only conduct or conduct yourselves as a citizen. That's really what that mean words, word, word mean, mean words, word means. Conduct yourselves as a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We're going to see this word worthy later on speaks of bringing up the balances, making it equivalent. That's what it means. And so he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of what? Of the gospel of Christ. Well, what does that mean? How does a believer conduct themselves in a manner worthy? How do we only live this way together? How do we do that? What does that mean? Well, first of all, we need to understand what the gospel of Christ is. What the gospel of the Messiah, the anointed one, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who left his glory and, and suffered and died and rose from the dead. What is that gospel? It's inherent in, in who he is. Well, the term gospel, euangelion, actually comes from the word angelos, where we get our word angel, messenger, ooh, means well, well message. It's the message of good news. The message of good news. The good news concerning Christ. It's Christ's gospel. There are a lot of different gospels out there. This is the gospel of Christ. This is the one that he brought forth, that was brought forth, that, that Paul said in Galatians, he didn't get it from man, it came from heaven. It's a, it's a heavenly truth that's brought forth through Christ. Remember the angel's announcement as we just finished our time Christmas together. Luke chapter 2, verse 12 or 11. And the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news is there is a Savior, which means we need to be saved. You see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Jesus is the Savior. The good news is that you don't have to die in your sins and go to punishment. You don't have to be judged by God, a righteous judge who must judge you. You don't have to be judged by a holy God because he sent his son instead. And he died for you. And that's the good news of the gospel. And if you believe that good news and you trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved by the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this good news is about Jesus. It's the gospel of our salvation. And so how is, what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? How are we to live as citizens only this way, body of Christ? How are we to do that, church? Well, let me share some other passages that might be helpful in us understanding this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, just a, a little, right, right back behind Philippians. Ephesians chapter 4. And again, this word worthy means bringing up the beams of the scales to make it equivalent. To make it equivalent. That's what it means. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Now, after the apostle Paul has shared the reality of who we are in Christ, those tremendous realities of having been saved by grace, uh, on our way to glory, right? He shares in chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the great calling by which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy that it is equivalent to this great calling. He says, with humility, all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to present, to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says in Ephesians 1, walk in a manner worthy to the, of that calling which we've been called. This means walk in a manner worthy of this calling. We were called out of darkness into light. We are saints, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, by calling. And I mentioned this there, 1 Peter chapter 2. We were called out of darkness. We were living in sin. And God called us out through the gospel to, to be saved to, to, into his marvelous light. We have been saved. We see in 2 Timothy 1 that he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, it is a heavenly calling. 1 Corinthians 1 9, we have been called into fellowship with his beloved son or his son. We were called into a new relationship with a holy God through the forgiveness of sins that was brought forth in Christ. And now we can walk in a manner that is different in accordance with this calling, in accordance with what God has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to see that Paul exhorted the Thessalonians through the word when he was with them that they would walk in a manner worthy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You've got a lot of T's there. You'll find it in that group. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Now, he's already said that we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. We speak the word of God. We speak the gospel. And then he goes on in verse 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, not as to be a burden to you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly... And uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
And for this reason, we constantly thank God that you receive, when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. It's the word of God that enables us to walk in accordance with our calling. It's the word of God changing a heart and a mind, helping us to become like Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1. We'll see the same thought, but in a different way. Colossians chapter 1. This is for believers. Verse 9. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may, what? Be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You would know his will in the spiritual sphere, which comes from the word of God, right? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. We see here, back in our passage in Philippians chapter 1, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live only as heavenly citizens in a consistent manner with the gospel. The gospel is the reality of what Christ did for us to bring about the forgiveness of sins. To bring about the forgiveness of sins and to call us out of darkness into light. To change us, to save us, to make us like Christ. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. And so within that, we see the standard of our behavior should be consistent with the truth of what the gospel brought forth and the intent of the gospel, which was to save us, ultimately to bring us in a state of glory with the Lord forever and ever. We are to live in a manner worthy of the great calling. We are always to live in light of our heavenly citizenship. Now this presupposes that we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So as a believer, do you name the name of Christ? Is your desire to be obedient to God's word and to the Lord? Well, we are commanded here to live only in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, we can think of all different applications. There, you know, we, we understand from the word what sin is and what it isn't. We can understand what's worthy and what's not. But there's some specifics here that we're going to see that he, he's going to share. That this worthiness of the gospel is going to be specifically pointed towards how you respond in the midst of difficulty. You see, because when difficulty comes, we sometimes lose it, don't we? When trials come upon us, we can get angry, we can get worried, we, whatever it might be, those are reactions that come upon us. We can respond wrongly, we can complain and grumble. We can have, have difficulties, defaction, whatever it might be, things between us because of difficulties. And he's going to say, in light of that, here's the way you should walk worthily, body of Christ, in the midst of that. So it's not speaking of the only way we walk worthy, but he's going to give a specific example here now at this point. We're going to see what living in this manner looks like. Verse 27 again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the, worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then look at this. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent... So that, hey, if I'm set free from my chains and I see you or I remain absent, but I hear about what's going on, he says, I may, I may hear that you are what? First, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed at your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too is from God. 
He's saying they should conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that or in order that these things will be manifest. This will be the fruit of walking righteously in the midst of the opposition that comes your way. This is what it should be looking like. And it encourages us to understand that as we're going to see. So that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I may hear of you. He's very very concerned about their spiritual state. He cares about uh, where they are with Christ. And then he gives three things that he desires to hear about them. Three things that I, I want to hear about you if you're standing firm in the gospel. These three things are evidences of a worthy walk. They're manifestations of a worthy walk, of having a right heart before the Lord, confessing sin, abiding in Christ, obeying his word. They're manifestations of that in the body of Christ when difficulties come. We'll notice the first mark of a, of a biblical church. And this isn't all the marks of biblical. This is just in this particular sphere. There are other things that make churches biblical. But in this small sphere in regards to opposition, here's the first mark. He says that you are standing firm in one spirit. It is you all, Philippian church, not you and you, but you all, Philippian church, that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, our text presupposes why they need to stand firm. Look down at verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents. Why do you need to stand firm together? Why do you need to strive together for the gospel? Well, there's opposition, that's why. There's opposition. The term opponents speaks of someone who is standing against. Those who are hostile in opposition. Those who are contrary. Those who are adversaries. Adversaries. Now later on, Paul is going to make clear that this, 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 this uh, opposition certainly comes in the form of people and it, and it manifests in conflict in conflict now certainly we know our battle is not against flesh and blood we know that from ephesians our enemy is ultimately satan and his in his but he has his cronies he has his people who are in his domain who do his bidding whether they understand it or not held captive to do his will and so that opposition does come through in the form of people it's ultimately satan as our that we're, our battle is against but it comes in the form of people look down in verse 29 for it has been granted for Christ's sake, for, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He's saying, you're having the same thing happen to you that you saw happening to me when I was with you, and now it's happening to me when I'm not with you. So what is that conflict? What is the opposition? What is it? That term conflict means agona. It means agony, the conflict. Well, what is it? Well, certainly he's not speaking simply of the Roman chains for the gospel because the Philippians were not in chains for the gospel. And he wasn't in chains when he was with them and they saw that conflict with him. He's speaking of a conflict that he is going through now and had gone through in their presence and that the Philippian church was experiencing also. Well, what's that conflict? Well, certainly we see often this conflict comes in the context of false brethren. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. He will warn them about the dangers to their faith. He will warn them. 
Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Beware of the fakers who are the opposite ones. Beware of them. Beware of them. They're false. We're true. They're the ones that are not like us. We worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, implying they do the opposite. Beware of them. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul writes about all his, his difficulties. He points about, first of all, where the trouble comes from, ultimately from Satan. And then he goes on to explain what happened to him in terms of how it's manifest in people. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, that I may cut off opportunity of those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter in which they're boasting. He's saying, there are people that want to be like us. They want to be the leaders. They want to be the apostles like us. But notice what he says. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, or workers of deceit, literally, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do... Receive me even as foolish that I may boast, that I may boast a little. That, w- that which I am speaking, I am not speaking as the Lord, but, in, but would, but as in foolishness, in this boast, in this confidence of boasting, confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'll boast also. He's saying, hey, these false guys, they boast about all their ministry stuff. Well, let me boast about what's really going on here. He says, for you being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly. For you bear with anyone who, if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. Talking about the bad guys. Okay? To my shame, I must say, I've been weak in comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. He's speaking of the bad guys. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, in dangers of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have spent, I spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. You see, the Philippians didn't have shipwrecks. They didn't have all that stuff, but the danger they had was among those who were false. There's opposition within the church to the truth of the gospel, as we're going to say, facing opposition. And when you respond rightly, they will oppose you even more, and you need to know how to respond. 
So back in our passage, we see... Actually, one other passage I want to share with you. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul was quite aware that the church would be infiltrated from without and within. And that this would be dangerous for the body of Christ. There'd be opposition. Opposition. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, Paul shares to the Ephesian elders in his last words to them, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Very valuable, purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to come in and just rip the flock apart. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. They're going to twist things. They're going to twist things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. There's opposition from false brethren. There's opposition from those in sin. There's opposition from the world. There's opposition from those, obviously, in the world that don't know Christ, which is the world. And Paul says that they would experience the same conflict or were experiencing the same conflict which they saw in him and now actually, and, and, and he is going through now. So back in our text. So how is the church to walk in a manner worthy of the, concerning the opposition that they're going to encounter? Because we're going to encounter people that are opposed to the truth. And it's going to be within. They're going to be opposed to what is truly right in the word of God concerning your relationship with Christ. They're going to be opposed to things, but maybe very subtle, like we say, sneaking in, deceptive, whatever it might be. How we'd respond. Only conduct yourselves back in Philippians 1.27 in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. The term one spirit doesn't speak of the spirit of God. It speaks of one mind or soul in a sense. It's in parallel with that. It's speaking of, of unity. That when I come back, you as the body of Christ, Philippians, here specifically, you are united in your stance against the opposition. You're not divided. You're not all fighting among yourselves. You are united. He says, standing firm. The term comes from the Greek word steko. Think of a stake. Standing firm, right? Steko. It speaks of holding position. It was often used to speak of soldiers who would refuse to leave their posts no matter how difficult the battle was. Standing firm. Standing firm together. Standing firm together. Holding that position with one spirit that you would be thinking the same thing. You'd be thinking rightly together concerning the opposite. You'd be thinking rightly concerning the word of God, that you'll be standing firm together. That I will come back and I'll see that, Paul says, or I will hear about it. I will hear about it. You see, we need to stand firm against the opposition to the truth in the body of Christ. We need to stand firm together and with one spirit now, we're going to see later on there are two things connected to this. The next two things. The standing firm is the main verb, and then there is the striving together, which is underneath that, and also not being afraid of opposition. 
So standing firm is the main thing. Standing, holding your position, but also within that, striving together and not being alarmed. It all connects to it. It all connects to it. So we, so we have here, we are to live as heavenly citizens only that way in a manner worthy of the gospel so that they would stand firm. Live in a godly manner and stand firm. Stand firm. This thing seeks of a position of unity, standing firm in one spirit. We see other passages that use this word. Chapter 4, verse 1, uh, stand firm in the Lord. That's how we do it. We've got to stand firm in Him. Chapter 4, verse 1. You can't stand firm apart from the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We see that it is standing firm directly in the context of faith in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now this word's different than what we have in Ephesians 6, just on a side note. It's speaking of standing and holding that position here. This is the one we're looking at from our passage and also 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. But now Timothy has come and to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. Your faith and love, right? Faith in Jesus and your love for the saints. And that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. And then he explains, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. You can't stand firm in the Lord unless you are trusting in the Lord. You trust in the Lord. You believe what he said. You stand firm in him. In him. Standing firm in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, Paul says. Don't be wimps, Corinthians. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the Lord. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, turn there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see the word of God connected now with the standing firm in the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. 2 chapter 2 verse 13. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. That's the process. And it was for this he called you through our gospel so that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to what? The traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or letter from us. The word of God. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the context of the word of God. Stand firm in that. Because there are people who will subtly oppose it. They will do it very deceitfully, as we'll see. They'll do it very openly. And we need to stand as a unified uh, position in Christ, firm in the faith, trusting in him through his word. Stand firm. Hold fast to his word by faith. So back to our passage. Back to our passage. Only live in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that when Paul comes, he may see them in unity and hear of them standing firm. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, middle of verse 27, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. So the first mark of a biblical church within this smaller context in regards to opposition is standing firm in unity in the context of trusting the Lord and holding to his word. 
in a unified manner in the body of Christ. And to do that, you need to be in the Word, don't you? Churches that don't teach the Word, churches that don't know the Word, aren't standing firm in the Word. They can't. And we toss to and fro from every wind of doctrine. Stand firm. The church walking in a worthy manner of the gospel is standing together united in the truth revealed in Scripture, believing in the God who shared it. Indeed, Paul tells Timothy that the church is the of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. Pillar and support. First Timothy three fifteen. Hold your ground in unity, together in one spirit, stand firm in Christ and the truth. Now we know that unity comes in the context of like mindedness. We'll see this in chapter two as we get into that next week. When we have the mind of Christ, when we have his word flowing through our hearts, we think the same way. Stand firm in the truth. Learn that we need to be learning it. We need to hold our position. Staco, holding our position. Well, notice there's also a striving together. Second point. He says that I may hear you standing firm in one spirit. That's what, and he says, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. With one mind, striving together, Philippians, all the church there, for the faith of the gospel. We have two phrases connected together. As I told you earlier, we have that we are to be standing firm. That's the actual command. And then we have a participial phrase, ing. Uh, standing firm. So stand firm and then striving with one mind, together with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Now this term with one mind is, is kind of, I think, maybe not the best translation because we're going to see this term mind actually in chapter 2 and it's a different word, phrenea, which speaks of thinking. Here, this word is actually the word suke, which speaks of the soul or the life. He's saying and, and, and that was the sphere of the emotions, the reason and will. It's our very being. It's our suke. And he says here that we are to be striving together in the context of, 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 every, of our entire being. With our entire beings together, striving together. This word striving is together. It's actually two Greek words, soon, which speaks of together or with, athleo, Speaks of striving. Think of the word athletics. It speaks of an athletic contest. It's where someone is exerting energy to, to win the game or whatever it might be. But yet, as we'll see in athletics, there is teams also striving together. Soon, athleo. Competing as an athlete in an athletic event. He gives an analogy. Striving together for what? The faith of the gospel. A coordinated effort together folks you think about it when it comes to sports it's quite obvious the team is only as good as its weakest link right you know teamwork must abound for victory we need to strive together as athletes in a sense against the opposition that is coming at us and we're going to see what that means striving for the faith of the gospel what does that mean striving for the faith of the gospel well, if you've known, if you read through the Bible, you've read and understand the Word of God, some may and some may not as we're growing, always are growing, you'll see that this term for the faith can be used different ways. It could be speaking of our personal faith, my belief, or what is called the faith. What's called the faith. 
And I think we're going to see that although we all trust the Lord, it's a good fight of faith, not a good fight of the faith, but a good fight of faith, that this is speaking of what we believe. You see, we believe and we have faith, but we have faith in something. And the scripture reveals that as the faith, the body of truth that God has revealed that we believe, the faith. The body of truth that we believe. Striving for the faith of the gospel. The good news concerning Jesus Christ. Striving for the faith. The content of what we believe. For example, Paul spoke in Galatians 1.23 and they said that he was preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Preaching the truth concerning Jesus. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 in pointing out these things, Paul tells Timothy about the, the, the some demonic stuff. Um, you can read that First Timothy four, verse six. Point these things to the brethren; you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. We know from the book of Jude that we have been brought, given the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So we are to strive together against the opposition which subtly attacks the truth of trusting in Christ alone and relying on Christ alone. We're to strive together. Because there will be people that arise who trust in themselves and their own works or whatever it might be. There will be people who arise who subtly say the right things but they don't do it. Like the Pharisees. Jesus said, do what they say but don't do what they do. They say the right things, but they don't do it. We're going to see those people, the hypocrites, who, who trust in themselves and elevate themselves spiritually, who are a danger to trusting in Jesus Christ, the faith of the gospel. So we are to be as a team of athletes on the same playbook, listening to the coach. We're to be striving forward for the body of doctrine revealed concerning Christ and his word, the gospel. The church that walks worthily strives only in this way, together, standing firm, striving. We need to do that together because there are going to be attacks and we need to support the, the truth together and strive against the air that comes into the body of Christ and those who would bring it. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves in disunity and all sorts of problems. And Paul says, I, I want to hear of this or see this when I come back, that you're doing this. Because there's opposition. Look in verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you. And that too from God. Not being terrified by the opposition. Now, this, in the Greek, you have a word and there basically, or it could speak of and or even. And this is a participle. It's connected to standing Standing firm. Standing firm, striving together. Standing firm, in no way alarmed. Standing firm, striving together. Standing firm, in no way alarmed. Folks, it can be alarming when there's opposition. We've had it here. It can be alarming when there's opposition to the truth. It can be alarming. You go, what is going on? It can be alarming. And he says here, in no way alarmed by those opposing, alarmed by your opponents. 
The term translated alarm is in the passive voice. What does that mean? Don't allow yourself to become frightened. It's going to happen by default if you don't stop it in Christ. Don't allow yourself to become alarmed. Don't allow yourself to be afraid at what is happening at your opponents. The term alarm could be translated afraid, terrified, intimidated. You see, when we face opposition to the truth of God in the context of the church, and often that opposition comes against the leadership, by the way, because they're proclaiming the truth, by the way. When you see that opposition, it came against Paul, right? You see that opposition, which comes outwardly or subtly, we can be alarmed if we don't obey the word. In no way alarmed. Don't be terrified by it. Stand firm on the Lord. Strive together for the truth, the gospel, the faith, the gospel. Give no leeway for fear of one's spiritual opponents. Give no leeway for being afraid of what is happening even in the church. Don't let it happen by default. Stand firm, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Don't be alarmed by those opposing you. Remember, the Apostle Paul just shared what was happening with him. He's not alarmed by his suffering. He's saying Christ being glorified in it. And he's saying, you guys, don't be alarmed by what happens to you. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You see, suffering and opposition will come to the true child of God. And our response will either be a spirit-led, unified one as the body of Christ, a worthy one, or a fleshy one, which damages our witness and brings disunity to the body of Christ. When you want to live godly, you're going to be persecuted. There's going to be opposition. When you're about God's will, there's going to be opposition. That opposition comes in various ways and, 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 and means. What did Jesus say? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And so when we see it from God's point of view, we don't need to be alarmed. We can rejoice like Paul did. Matthew chapter 5. This is an interesting transition in the Beatitudes. He's saying, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And he'll say that here, and then he'll go, blessed are you. He'll say it very specifically. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an evidence you are a heavenly citizen. You're being persecuted because Christ's righteousness is actually being manifest in your life. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. We know very clearly that indeed those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. We know that. We know that evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And folks, we should have a unified response in the context of a worthy walk as citizens of heaven, standing firm, striving together, not alarmed, not alarmed at our opposition. There are those who oppose the teaching of God, by the way, and they do it in very subtle ways. Let me share a few examples and we'll finish up. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2. 
Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and we went through this a couple of months ago. But false prophets also arose among the people. It speaks of some just popping up. Just as there will also be false teachers among you, believers, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. What are destructive heresies? Those things that cause us not to trust Jesus Christ, to not trust him and rely on him completely, whether it's for salvation or for sanctification. Destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. I already mentioned that those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. That evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. We see those are two verses together. And then in Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter, Jude 4, it says that certain people have crept in unnoticed. And actually, let's go there. Turn to Jude. It's right before Revelation. Because this really applies. We're to contend earnestly for this. We're to strive together for the truth of the word of God that's been delivered once for all. Because there's going to be opposition to it. Jude chapter, well, I keep saying chapter, Jude, verse 3. <laughs> Jude 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly, what? For the faith. That's the body of truth that is delivered. The body of truth, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in, this idea like a, like a, like a terrible, like a bug crawling into your house, right? Certain people have Persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. That's a license to sin, by the way. And, and, and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, whatever they do, it's spiritualism. It's like the Pharisees. You've got to do this to be this way. Do this way to be spiritual rather than trusting in Jesus Christ. Relying on him. We already saw it in Acts chapter 20 that uh, they will speak perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. We've seen that, twisting things. I've been opposed here, you've seen that, by the false brethren trying to lead astray believers, deceivers, hyper-hypocrites, those who are perverted and sinning, those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching, those who deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting, we are commanded to stand firm, united in the truth, in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not alarmed when it happens. Not alarmed. Don't let it shake you up, brother and sister. But if you don't know the truth, it's going to shake you up. If you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know how to respond, it's going to shake you up. Don't let it happen. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Because God is going to use it as a sign of who they really are and who you really are. Let's finish up our passage. Verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign. Now, that's not the typical word for signs and wonders, actually. It's actually a word that means demonstration or proof. Which is a demonstration of destruction for them. See, your response in Christ, rightly, standing for the truth, united and not not alarmed by your opponents, is a visible demonstration that those of your opponents that are doing that are on their way to hell. They're on their way to destruction. But it also confirms our salvation. 
Notice what it says, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of, literally you could say, of a sign or demonstration of salvation for you. And that too is from God. God's allowing it. He's proving and demonstrating you are true believers by your walking worthy and responding rightly. He's proven you're the true thing, the real deal. And they're the false ones. That's what he's proven. Confirms our salvation. And this too is from, that too is from God. And notice, we need to understand the reason for our suffering. It's for Christ's sake. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted... For Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. He's explaining why this is happening. Don't be alarmed, because God is proving that you're the genuine article and they're not. And he's saying, and he's going to explain, because God has granted you. The word granted, a very interesting word. You've heard of the word charis. We get our word charismatic or, or you know, grace gift, right? It speaks of a gift that is generously and granted with favor. I don't think of that word when it says we're granted uh, suffering, right? (laughs) But when you see that word, that means it's a good thing. That means God is bestowing upon us a tremendous gift that we are suffering in Christ for his benefit or behalf, literally, for him in that context. And we know that there's a tremendous benefit for those who are walking with Christ, suffering in him. Your reward in heaven is great. For he has granted, he has graciously, freely given. It's even translated forgiveness in Ephesians 4. Freely given. He has bestowed karasamai upon you. Not only to what? Believe in him. God's gracious to, to bring about the opportunity to believe in him. The gracious opportunity that he has to bring forth. And then also, but also to suffer for his sake. You see, there are the sufferings for the glories to follow. Paul would share to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4 that our suffering now is bringing about an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So I don't even look at it when I'm suffering. I don't even count it in light of the glory that God is bringing from it. Tremendous. I've got to see it rightly. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And while you're turning there, we know that We've been called for this purpose, 1 Peter 2, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps. The sufferings for the glories to follow. It's an evidence you're really his child, by the way, the opposition and your response to it. It's a confirmation of your salvation. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also... Heirs of God are literally God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When you suffer at the hands of those who oppose the truth, recognize your suffering for the sake of Christ. Now, there's also suffering for righteousness we see in our right deeds, but here, for the sake of the truth in the context of the body of Christ. God has graciously granted to you, believer, the privilege to suffer for Christ right now for the glories to follow. And it's an evidence you're his in that context. And then notice verse 30, back in Philippians 
experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Experiencing the same translated conflict is agona, agonizing fight. Philippians, you're not in jail in Rome right now, but you're experiencing the same conflict from those who are attacking the truth, subtly or outwardly. You're experiencing it. That you saw in me when I was with you, they attacked me, and now it's still happening to me out of your presence. Experiencing the same conflict. If you're a true believer in Christ, you're going to experience this conflict. And church, as a church, we need to have a united stand with, with one, one mind together striving for the truth in no way alarmed at the opposition, which is a sign they're on their way to destruction and that we are on our way to glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your encouraging words and Lord, For those of us who have suffered and are suffering, Lord God, and as we will as a church, thank you for this. Help us to stand firm, to be walking in a manner worthy, only walking that way in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray we would analyze our lives. What areas are we walking in which is not worthy, which does not not, uh, come to, to the same level as the gospel? Lord, that it's not not worthy. Convict us of those things. And Lord, help us to stand firm, to strive together, and to in no way be alarmed because it is what you're allowing for this time. It's confirming who we are and exposing who is against us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the difficulties. Thank you for the suffering. Thank you for those things which you are turning to wonderful glory. May we as a church see it rightly. Pray this in your name. Amen.